0: Ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events. Clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So, if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. All right, we are back on the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Through the eyes of a therapist, here we go. We're back on the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Gayatri Jayarajan and she is the author of Ella's Choice. She is a psychiatrist based in Canada, correct? Mm-hmm, that is correct. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you. This has been a couple of months in the making. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because it's toddler mom life, hashtag toddler mom life around <laughs> right. here for both of us. And so we're here to talk about Dr. Gayatri's book, which is called Ella's Choice. And we're here today to also talk about teaching kids about boundaries and maybe a little bit about toddler mom life.
1: For sure.
0: So, doctor, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, Crystal. Um, yes. So my name is Dr. J. Rajan and I uh, am a psychiatrist here based out of Toronto, Canada. And yes, I have a two year old daughter. Um, her name is Ella and she's the inspiration for the book, which I'll talk about later. And yes, I, I wrote a book about uh, consent and boundaries by the name Ella's Choice and it's um, pretty widely available and it's um, on Amazon, Indigo, Barnes and Noble. And it's for ages 3 to 12. So it's really that sort of that whole topic, boundaries, uh, and how it relates to abuse and bullying is really a, a passion project and a passion for me and I really care about. So I specialize in trauma and PTSD. So that's where sort of all the, that came together. Awesome. That's
0: so cool. You know, I think that that is how we ended up getting connected, probably by yes. the algorithm, right? I'm a trauma therapist by day, by trade. And so I think our algorithms met each other on Instagram (laughs) because we both have worked with people who have been through traumatic events. And I used to work with, well, I still do, but more intensely a few years ago. For about seven years of my career, I worked with children who have been through traumatic events, namely sexual assault, physical abuse, and things of that nature. And so I think what gravitated me towards your page was the book Ella's Choice and Mm -hmm. kind of looking through that, but also your content, right? You do talk a lot about trauma-informed care, survivors of trauma and trauma reactions and things like that. So I felt when I saw your page, I was like, she gets it, she gets it, you know? So I thought that that was really cool, but I'm hoping today that we can talk a little bit about kind of the approaches that we can take to make sure that our kids understand boundaries and consent and maybe what we have seen in our practices as therapists and you as a psychiatrist, right, and working with people who have been through trauma and maybe some of the things that are important to teach kids at a young age. And so what do you think are some of the things that we should be talking about with our children and as far as boundaries and babies?
1: Very good question. And, and you know, everything you just said, Crystal, I totally agree with. And I think especially in the child line of work that we're in, um, we see a lot of socially and also culturally marginalized people. Right. Like we talked about this. Right. Marginalized families. So the question, uh, how do we talk about boundaries and what do we do with babies? And that's actually a perfect start because people always ask me, like, when do you start? What's the age? And I've seen a variety across sort of, I guess, the internet, like people talking about like four, three, four, five, six, right? But I always say like, it starts when they're born. And interestingly, I saw recently an article where a person had said like, you should let your toddler know, or baby know, that you're changing the diaper, and people were outrageous and thought it was ridiculous. But that person actually made a very strong point, right? Because being able to teach your children about boundaries is rooted in what we call attachment, right? And mm-hmm. attachment starts from the minute that they're born, from the minute that you're bottle feeding them, breastfeeding them, carrying them, and so that attachment, what we, well, we often talk about, secure attachment. So your baby knows that you're consistent that you're available, and that you're gentle with them, which is what they need, right? And so actually, that person had a point, like narrating to the baby what you're about to do can be extremely helpful. And especially as they're getting closer to the three to six month and they're making eye contact, they're socially smiling to you, they are already starting to look at facial language. They know when you're angry at them and they cry, and narrating when you know, mommy's gonna give you a bath, daddy's gonna change your diaper, it is actually helpful. That gentle tone of voice is already forming that attachment, because without attachment, you have basically zero chance at parenting. And teaching your children about boundaries is parenting. So I would say really early on, like it's you're already starting. But truly, like, when do we really start to talk about boundaries is when, you know, when your toddler is sort of starting to, you know, sort of that closer to one year age when you really have to kind of help them stay safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, really, it started at six months. So at six months, when I started to feed my daughter, that's when it truly started, when she was actually really able to tell me, like, I am full. And it took me a couple of meals to really realize like, wow, she really means that she's not just sort of unintentionally pushing away the spoon or spitting the food back up at me. She's actually full and she's just eating very small amounts. So, you know, force feeding our children is part of not respecting their boundaries. If your child at mealtimes is spitting food back out at you after several scoops or is clearly saying no then you need to start respecting that. So I think, you know, you can start as early as when they're right when they're born. But really at six months, I started to notice more detailed boundary setting that the child was already teaching me.
0: Those are really great points. And I think what my mind goes to right away is kind of like the cultural stuff, right? Like as a brown person, as a Mexican person, I know that there are a lot of like food pushers in my family. And so Mm -hmm. like you go to grandma's house, your tia's house, your aunt's house, your whatever's house. And there's like food. Right. And it's like, you know, if you say no to the food, it's like you're rejecting them or something. Yes. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Right. So it's like being able to say, no, I'm full or no, thank you. I don't want that food. It doesn't mean that you're rejecting their love or you're rejecting them as a person. It just means. I'm full. And that's a body boundary, right? So teaching them at a very young age that you shouldn't be guilted into eating, you know, that's a body boundary. And so I think that being able to understand that body boundaries are not just sexual, right? It's also being able to tell if you're full or being able to tell if you're, you know, gonna have a a wet diaper or if you need to be changed or if you're cold or if you're hot or if you're uncomfortable,
1: exactly because you know you're right you bring up a really important point there's emotional boundaries there's physical boundaries there's sexual boundaries like they're all um and when I really talk about this book I'm really talking about all of those three things right and I always say like the slogan for this book is give your child a voice with Ella's choice (laughs) it sounds really nerdy but really what I'm trying to say is like oh I like that yeah um thank you um because at that six month, when they can't talk, you are their voice, right? So let's say, you know, um, you know, grandma's over to a feed and she's saying like, you know, no, he needs to eat more. She needs to eat more. There's not enough, uh, food. Then you're their voice. You're saying, no, no, I know. Like for me, I had to do that. My daughter, I was like, no, she's a snacker. She eats small portions and she wants to eat every hour to two hours. And she hasn't really changed as, as a toddler. She's still doing that. So. Um, you are their voice. And I think that's why I really targeted this book both at children and made it really colorful and illustrated and with the rhyme in it so children can enjoy it. And then I have a introduction and a reader's guide for the parents to kind of navigate some of that. This conversation today would be a really great asset to that for parents to also listen to.
0: Yes, that's great. And what was the rhyme again? Can you say it again? Give your child a voice with Ella's choice. I love it. I love it. It makes so much sense. Yeah, Maybe that should just be the
1: title of the episode <laughs> or something. <laughs> do it, I don't know. Do it.
0: Do it. Do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And
1: I should just create that as a slogan for the book. Yeah,
0: that should be a slogan. Yeah. Like, trademark that for sure. <laughs> totally. So, yeah, I feel like some of the questions that I get as a therapist, and I'm sure that you get this question, too, is like, how early is it or how, you know, is it appropriate to be talking about, let's say, body safety or sexual boundaries, Mm -hmm. right, with your baby or your child? And I always say yes, and I think it's important also. And if you don't mind, I'm going to, like, kind of segue into that section because I feel like that's kind of an area of expertise for me, just having treated so many kids who have been through sexual abuse. You know, the research is showing that it's important to be able to have children like label their body parts appropriately, right? Like not calling them by like toy names or like pet names or things like that. But just saying, you know, penis, vagina, you know, like the actual anatomical names and things like that. And so those are questions that I get a lot from parents. And like, I think that it kind of shows like the discomfort that parents have Mm -hmm. about the stigma around like sexual kind of things or like the anatomical names for things. What do you think about that kind of question when that comes up? for you in your practice
1: or from parents? You know, this is a great question. You know, part of why I created this book is it's exactly that. Because when you see adults who are struggling with boundaries and they have children at home, I always wonder, like, what is happening with the children? And some of that comes out in therapy. You know, how, oh, like, mom is not happy with how dad is treating the baby or dad is not happy with how mom's treating the baby and how there's boundary violations happening at home, Right. And yes, this question is so important. Absolutely, use anatomical words. It is uncomfortable, and I know it because I am teaching my daughter right now in bath time. Vagina is what we use, you know. And for her, uh, for her butt, she uses several words. She uses a German word. She's she's got the Tamil word. She uses bum bum. But it's okay. They're all very close to being truly the anatomical word. But we're not creating a new word for. Her anatomical parts. So that's it's really important. Just like we're teaching her her head and toes and knees and shoulders, that's absolutely important. Mm -hmm. As soon as they start learning words, the more your child can communicate with you and use appropriate language, the more likely they're going to come and disclose to you if somebody's making them uncomfortable right? And so that's, again, the premise of this book. We're saying if your parenting and attachment is safe and your child feels safe around you and the communication is good and clear, then they're going to come and tell you if somebody's making them uncomfortable. But for that, we have to facilitate that comfort, that safe space at home, and also the right terminology. So it doesn't really make sense for you to teach your child some kind of abstract word for that anatomy at age Two or three when they're learning, and then be like, "Oh, but it's something else." At age six, it just doesn't matter. It's part of um, part of regular language, just the way that your kid is going to hear swear words at school and is going to come repeat them. You know, there's going to come a time where you can teach them what's appropriate, what's not, and also teaching them that you know what part of your bodies do you keep private, right? So, mommy can give you a shower, daddy can give you a shower but nobody else should be really giving you a shower unless it's explicitly discussed. Maybe it involves one of the grandparents, it involves the babysitter, and so that they know that, you know, they keep their vagina private and that they keep their bum private. Um, So that's absolutely important. And that's teaching body safety at a very young age, as soon as children are able to speak.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that there are, you know, the there's the speech reason, there's legal reasons also, right? I've heard, Mm -hmm. at least here in the United States, in El Paso, Texas, very specifically, right? Because I can't speak for the rest of the United States or anything, but in legal proceedings and like forensic interviews and things like that, after like a sexual assault of a child, things that I've heard are just kind of bizarre, right? Like where a child will try to disclose like somebody touched my cookie or something like that. And it's like, well, that's not an anatomically correct word. And so they kind of get the case dropped because there's no specific terminology for that private part being touched or something like that. So these are things that I've heard and I'm just like, wow, or things that I've experienced in practice or my colleagues have experienced and it's frustrating. Right. So it's just kind of like spreading that awareness to parents is important. Right. Like, let's just call things what they're called and not be ashamed of it yeah. because it does provide that awareness, protection, and empowerment and the sense of boundaries as well. Yeah. But I think consent is also the extension of boundaries, right? Being able to say no. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, I'm going to segue to another topic, I suppose, and it's just kind of explaining consent, right? So I know that in the book. You talk about boundaries, but what about consent? Like giving permission for something like, yes, it's okay to give me a hug or no, it's not okay to do that for me
1: or to me. What do you think of that? Very important. Can I just say something about what you just said though, just prior to that? Oh, yes. About yes. the legal proceedings. One, when you're a child, unfortunately, we're stepping a few, we're thinking a few steps ahead, which is exactly what this is, because when we talk about abuse, bullying and disclosure, like when a child comes and says like the exact words, like, you know, uh, breast, vagina, bum, penis, then it already demonstrates that this child is aware about privacy. The child is aware of their body parts and the child is able to say that somebody violated those parts, right? So yes, if somebody goes up there and says, unfortunately, a word that the parents taught them, such as cookie or something, it's just so, it's just really hard. And it's so unfortunate that that happens So we absolutely it's really important, especially in those cases. So I just wanted to drive that home. Like it really demonstrates multiple skills on the kids' part. And also when they can come tell their parents, right? And they can actually take it serious, right? Because how do you know when they come and use a word like cookie? Like, is she referring to an actual cookie or is she referring to her vagina, right? So I think that's really important. But yes, to answer your question about um, consent, The other good word to use, I think that's a little bit more easier to understand for people and apply is permission, right? Start with permission, really, what we're talking about, especially around, you know, sort of the two to six age when um, the children are learning the body parts and there's a lot of like that tickling and hugging and, and play fighting and stuff. And here we're really talking about, again, what happens at home is what happens outside. If children feel that, you know, they can say no and they could say not right now because I'm, I'm not having a good day, I'm not in a good mood, or I'm actually uncomfortable right? Like recently, my daughter was having an ear infection and she just didn't want to hug or kiss. She doesn't want to be touched because she's in so much pain. But it took me like a good other half day to realize where the pain was coming from. I thought she was just having a moody day and then she started pulling her ear. So if she doesn't want to have a hug and she pushes me away and she's sort of cranky and stuff, really respecting that messaging that she's giving. Hmm. Play fight and smother your kid and, you know, play with them, you know, as much as they want, if they're having a good time. But when they kind of say stop or they're uncomfortable, you just need to be attuned to that. And because they're saying, I'm uncomfortable, please stop. And some of them will say stop and some of them just expressing it through language. And you can teach them to say, please stop. No, I don't like this. A variety of words so that when they go to daycare or somebody else is around and trying to do this with them, you might love play fighting with them. But if somebody else is doing that to your kid and your kid is actually uncomfortable, Would you not want them to stop? Right. So you're demonstrating those things at home and so that your child can express themselves outside, but also respect the needs and boundaries of other children. Don't push another child or play fight or kick or tickle them or hug them if the child completely uncomfortable. And so the one thing we talk about in the book and I also do in real life is talking about permission, right? Like we go for a walk, you see a dog, the dog and the owner stop, but we ask for permission just because they stop, it might just be to say hi and, you know, have a look at the dog, but that doesn't mean touch the dog. So, you know, we ask, is it okay for her to pet her? And so that way we can prevent injury, right? And I always say to my daughter, do not touch the face, right? Like you don't want to be touched in your face. Oftentimes don't poke my nose and my eyes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So don't do the thing to the dog. You wait for the dog to calm down. And then when you get permission, you ask for permission, you can stroke their back and be gentle just the way you want to be treated. So things like that, teaching your children permission, asking for permission before touching other people, other humans, taking things from others. Those are all around consent and boundaries, right? And it can prevent a lot of the harm and abuse and bullying in school as well. Children who are treated with respect and whose boundaries are respected at home they're likely to treat other children the same way because they know they can communicate and and they don't want to make other kids uncomfortable or other people uncomfortable. Does that make sense? It does.
0: I said a lot. No, no, that totally does make sense. And I think it's a really important point to make about, you know, kind of that modeling, right, that you're referring to is that if you can explain, but also model that respect, in front of the child or towards the child, then they will also have that parallel process with their peers, right? Like, okay, I'm going to respect my peers because I'm respected at home. Or I see respect between my parents or my caregivers or other partners at home, right? And so I think that's a really important point. And then right when you started talking about your dogs, my dog started barking in the background. (laughs) And I'm like, did you guys know that we're talking about you or what? It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) oh what kind of dog do you have i have two mutts we don't know what they are i think they're like chihuahua poodle mixes or something but they're cute yeah they're cute but they're very loud i'm just like oh yeah they're so weird they they don't get attention for like five seconds and they're just like excuse me Can you pay attention?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So
0: obviously, I mean, there's like these age appropriate sort of levels, right? That we want to be explaining boundaries and consent with. Mm -hmm. And so what I think I like so much about Ella's choice is like how you described is that it's very colorful and the illustrations and the rhymes and everything. And I kind of just wonder how you came up with the idea. I know that your daughter was the inspiration. Her name is Ella. But like, what was it that was like? You know what? I've got to write a book about this. Yep. What was it that kind of pushed you to
1: do it? You know. You know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for this question. I I have been thinking about that quite a bit. I was actually postpartum. Ella was uh, maybe about somewhere between three to six month old. I'm going to say closer to four or five, like somewhere the four to six month old. I know it was June, July when I reached out to my um, publisher and she was born in December. So, but I was up in the middle of the night and I think this topic was the starting the feeding and why is she cluster feeding? And uh, is this truly happening that she just wants to? And then when she started eating meals and I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. She's saying she learned the word no by four or five months. So I was like, she's serious. She says no. Like, don't touch me. Don't feed me. And she's very fierce about it. We would take videos and we would send it to my um, family and they would say... Oh, my God, she's saying nine, which is like the wow. German word for no. It's the word, first word she knew. And it would keep me up at night. And when you started feeding her and I was like, she's saying no. And she's a tiny girl. And the doctors would always say, like, she's on the um fifth percentile in terms of growth. And I was thinking, well, she's a little brown girl. Both her parents are tiny. And so she's on the bottom of the crust, but she's kind of staying on it. She would go between five and 12. And really, it really made me anxious. Um to be like, well, but she doesn't want to eat, and I can't, and it made me uncomfortable to force feed her. I was like, I'm not going to do that, so... I would have these discussion about it. And then I was like, oh, this is what they talk. This is what I do at work. Attachment, trauma. This is all how it all starts. So I was up at night. And then one day this rhyme came up to me. A rhyme came up to me. And I wrote it down on my phone. And then I kept editing it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send it out to a bunch of my friends. So I sent it out to a bunch of my friends, you know, teachers, social workers. I have and then even my sisters. And um, one of them is also a social worker. And everybody that I kind of trust. And they were like, oh, my God, this is so cute. I'm like, should I go ahead and publish this? They're like, yes, publish this And I was like, oh my God, I'm postpartum. I don't know if this is just me in a haze. But anyways, I put it into a document and I started just typing and, and I would type a little bit every day and I would keep editing and making longer. And then, and for me, the push was really, I had this super fierce little child right in front of me who was like full of surprises. Like she basically told me like, you're not in charge. You're just a guide. Help me learn and develop on my pace. And she would communicate discomfort through her eyes, through her body language, the words. And I was like, wow. And so I just kept typing and typing and typing. And then I built up the courage because I said, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Like, she gave me so much courage because now it wasn't about everybody else's views and perspective. It was just about her and all the other children in the world. So it gave me this courage that I think that I didn't have prior to motherhood to make myself vulnerable. I think publishing a book is you make yourself so vulnerable especially the topic, because I'm not just writing something fun and lovey-dovey. I'm I'm writing something that has to be so, um, it had to kind of be appropriate both for children and for parents. And that double sort of piece was very difficult. I had to take out some of the wording that was too difficult and triggering language I had to take out. And I had to really think about the audience. So, yeah, so she was really the inspiration. And um, she also gave me the courage to myself that vulnerable.
0: That is so cool. What an awesome story. Yeah, absolutely. It does take courage. And I'm glad that you did it, though. Thank you. You know, I think when we become moms, there's something I feel like happens inside of us that And I don't know if I can speak for every mom everywhere, but I feel like as a creator myself, like I feel like something happens in our brains where it's like, you know what, I want to make more meaning now that I have a child. And it's like,
1: there's more courage to be able to do that now. Something happens in the brain. I agree. And everything about motherhood, you know, um, it doesn't matter how you became a mother, right? It doesn't, you don't have to be the person carrying the child, but it doesn't matter. But there's so many steps to that process of becoming a mother that's so vulnerable and painful, no matter what your journey is, that a lot of the things that mattered before and things that you cared about, people think about you don't matter anymore, right? Yeah, no, they don't. (laughs) You're like, oh, I'm like, well, the person who was being a mean girl to me in at workplace, well, she's not here while I'm going through all of this sort of isolation and pain and and self-discovery again right so then all of those people don't matter anymore and you're in the small world where you can actually think differently and i really i really enjoyed that
0: yes absolutely there's a perspective shift for sure yep Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Thank you so much for creating it. I think it's important work. Also, thank you for everything you do. Is there anything else that you want to tell us? Where can we find your book? And how can we get into contact with you?
1: Tell us about all of that stuff. Yes, I will. Just one closing comment that I wanted yes. to add here. Um, Just for older children, because I know Ella's Choice, the book, I sort of made it 3 to 12. It's a wide age range. But I've been reading it to my daughter since she's like 15 month old or something, 15, 16 month old. But also like the older children, that's one of the questions that comes along. First of all, everybody's developmentally very different. So some kids at 12 might say, mm, this is like too much of a kid's book for me. And other children will say, no, love it. So just really pay attention to uh, development and also if there's a child with developmental delay, we're we'll, we'll actually in the process of do- donating one of the copies to one of the developmental delay units in one of the local hospitals. So and autistic children, um, children with um, ADHD, it's really appropriate for every child. Really. And, um, thinking about some of the older children, like you, when you think about boundaries and consent, you, you know, sex ed start at that age already. And also, um, talking about emotional boundaries, starting to respect that sort of that preteen that you have in your house and, and who needs privacy, privacy from mom and dad, who needs their own safe space in the house, who can have a bad day and a good day, who's going through hormonal changes and sort of being flexible and adaptive as a parent around that that's also another boundary to think about as you have an older child in the home, right? So, um, which is why I made the age range really broad for this book. I wanted to just add that as a closing piece because I thought that's important because... Um you know, just for children with sort of preteens who are reading this book. And I wanted to know, I wanted to let people know, like, principals, schools, teachers, therapists, like, I've been using it in my office and some of my child psychologists, social workers, uh, therapists, um, psychiatrists have been using the book as well and with their clients, um, in family settings and, and things like that. So where can you find me? So I am on Twitter under Dr. Guy 3J. I am, um, uh, on Instagram, as Life of a Shrink and Ella's Choice. I'm on Facebook as well, but I'm a little bit less active on it. And then I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. So, really, on all of these platforms, the book can be found on Amazon, Indigo, uh, Barnes and Noble, and and really every country um, Waterstones in the UK. Every most of the countries, it's it's somehow available one way or the other. Like usually, the major booksellers. Um, we have over 10,000 online platforms that it's available on. Book Depository is another big one. And, and in, in Toronto, we have a bunch of local stores as well. Book City, um, Caversham Booksellers has it as well. And one of the local chapters is going to be taking it up pretty soon. So yeah, the book is pretty widely available. And uh, if you want a signed copy, just reach out to me personally, and um I'd be happy to send you a signed copy. Awesome. I want a signed copy. <laughs>
0: Like um, <laughs> Yes, yes, you
1: can ask
0: like for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up, I know, I know. Totally, oh, yeah. And then we're gonna do a book giveaway for Alice yeah. Choice. And yeah, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'll put all of the links to everything that you mentioned in the show notes. And I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk with us on Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. And let us know whenever you want to come back. You have
1: this platform whenever you'd like. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. I really look forward to the book giveaway on your page, Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening
0: to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and please connect with me, Crystal Martinez-Acosta, licensed professional counselor on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time.